Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Lewis Cohen, Investment Director from Tilney's London office, and I'm talking with Ben Seager-Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds, about markets, coronavirus and challenges for the global economy. Before we begin, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So Ben, perhaps we can start with discussing what's happened since the last podcast. Uh, Absolutely, and quite a lot has happened, not just in markets, actually. And if you cast your mind back to the last podcast, we were talking a lot lot about the Bank of England having its monetary policy meeting. Will they, won't they? Um, And actually, in the end, they didn't cut interest rates, which we did uh, predict, even though, you know, I wouldn't say it was a very high conviction view, but I think it was interesting because going into that meeting, there was a 45% chance of a cut, which is relatively high. In the event, interest rates were left on hold uh, and by a vote of 7 to 2. So no actual change, despite some of the, the changing rhetoric. And we heard the, the, the bank talking about reduced uncertainties. That's uh, alluding to, to Brexit. Um, but also some of the potential short-term growth stimulus from government. So I think it's interesting that Mark Carney's sort of final meeting the bank held, held fire from there. And perhaps we can talk about uh, monetary policy and some of the shifts uh, a little bit later. But tied in with that, just as they were talking about the potential for short-term growth, the bank also reduced some of the UK's growth forecasts. So if you look for this year, the bank now expects only 0.75% growth. That's down from one and a quarter um, predicted uh, a little earlier. And next year, forecasts have fallen from 1.75 to 1.5% growth. And that obviously has knock-on uh, effects to, to other, some of the other factors. Elsewhere, we also had the UK leaving the European Union, um, but now entering a transition period. Not a lot has changed on the surface, but I think some of the rhetoric and some of the negotiations have started off uh, quite a, a pace, uh, and there's quite a lot of intensity happening around that, and that's likely to be a sustaining theme. But I think most broadly and, and most importantly, perhaps is the intensification of concerns around COVID-19, previously called the coronavirus. Last month, there were some worries, particularly as it uh, was um, intensifying in China. Since then, what we've seen is that broadening out, and it's really the shift to uh, outside of China. In fact, in Hubei province, it's largely coming under control. Outside of China, we're starting to see other outbreaks, and that's really impacted sentiment. It's hit risk assets pretty significantly. Um, If you look at UK equities, they are at the moment, as we read on the screen, down 6.4%. Global equities faring a little bit better, part of that on the currency. Global equities are still down 3.8%. Government bonds were already fairly tight uh, at the end of last month, so they haven't really moved. Um, But if you look at commodities, you always get a lot of sentiment readings from from this area. Gold has pushed up to $1,633 an ounce. That's up uh, over 3.5% since last month. Um, what is also interesting, if you look at oil, oil has fallen quite significantly. Brent crude has slipped almost 10%. It's now down to $54 a barrel. And I think 
Oil in particular is an interesting area. It is both a driver of economic growth, but it can also be a key signal. Um, it can be a driver of growth because obviously it's very demand sensitive. If you see accelerating economic growth, you'll see the oil price pick up as people expect uh, billions of people all over the world to drive more. You need more for um, freight, for lorries, for, for shipping. So it can be a driver. And we also see if the oil price gets too high, it can act as a tax and make life a little bit more difficult overall. But against that, it's also a signal. And I think that's how it's functioning here. Um, it's really signaling if there's uncertainty, if it's unclear what's going to happen, then you do see that demand really drop off. And so what we're seeing right now is oil is pricing in significant economic uncertainty, impacts potentially to, to supply chains, and it's really softening. That's going to be a boon to a lot of those oil impacts importing countries um, and acts actually almost as a form of, of stimulus. We, we sometimes talk, you know, your main stimulus measures are monetary policy, fiscal policy, but actually a lot of what's happening with oil, depending on your, your oil importing needs, uh, can be a factor. So it can be a boon for, for those countries. Against that, it is not often a good long-term signal if oil remains weak, it signals some of the challenges that might per persist in, in the broader economy. So um, I think I'd just like to focus a little bit more on the coronavirus. Uh, I know that it's been a, a short-term impact onto markets, um, but I'd be interested in our longer-term view of the impact to uh, actual capital markets. And in particular, we've seen disruption to both supply and demand sides, which of course requires different policy action. So how do you think this will be implemented, uh, especially as we've said over the last few podcasts that we're now running out of options for monetary policy? Yeah, I think that there are many interesting aspects to, to the spread of this virus. And as I said, it came up last month, but it was still relatively isolated in China. The recent sell-off has been driven by the proliferation outside of the epicentre um, of Hubei province. And as you say, it hits supply chain, it hits supply and demand. Demand can bounce back fairly quickly, actually. Um, people will hold off given the uncertainty, but you can get that back on stream relatively quickly. It is the supply side that is a little bit more concerning. And we're sort of, in some ways, we're seeing um, different cycles within the, the overall story. And the early signs in China is actually that the containment uh, effects have, have been working. We've started to see the number of reported cases um, start to, to level off in terms of uh, new reports. Now, there's some credibility question around those reports, but if you do think that that is starting to have an effect, that's relatively positive in the grand scheme. But the problem is, as you're seeing the, the cycle sort of moderate in China, you're seeing new outbreaks in other parts of the world, most recently Italy, and it seems inevitable that it's going to crop up elsewhere as well. And as you have those different pockets, different parts of the supply chain being shut down, that's going to impact downstream effects as well. And I think that's the big concern at the moment. Um, in terms of the outlook, I don't think a huge amount has changed, even though we are in the midst of it. It does make sense to be cautious and watch carefully. Um, from an investment point of view, though, I think, as well as saying, what if the worst happens, we need to think, what if the worst doesn't happen? Um, and, you know, on a bounce of probabilities, I think we, we tend to need to look through that. Um, governments are acting, both in terms of the virus, but there are other activities that governments can take to stimulate economic activity. And as you said, monetary policy, it might be running out of steam, but it hasn't entirely run out of steam. There is still further that it can go. I think it's interesting. We talked at the top uh, about the changes uh, or the lack of change in interest rates in the UK. And a lot of people might think, 
well, if they're on the edge before, they must be ready to pull the trigger now. Um, and it's interesting, the market pricing isn't pointing towards that. Uh, there are there are votes coming up in the UK, Bank of England in March, um, and, and others sort of later in the year. But actually, at the moment, the markets aren't pricing in a, a, a cut to interest rates this time around. Most are further out to the summer. So again, exactly as I said last month, it's coming, but it's not quite so imminent. We might start to see more in Europe, which is starting to, to see greater signs of risk, both from the virus but also uh, ongoing slowdown in economic activity. So there we might have to see more activity, and that's likely to be unconventional monetary policy. They already have quite deeply negative interest rates, which is unconventional in and of itself. They have a QE program, so buying assets, some so-called money printing. They might have to start doing a little bit more of that. But increasingly, I think monetary policy is going to have to be dovetailed with fiscal policy, and that's something you know, that central banks have repeatedly been saying. So if we, if we look at that fiscal policy side then, um, and perhaps we can talk globally, but uh, just a bit more UK-centric to start, we've got a budget coming up in the next month in March, um, and it looks like we're going to have a much more aligned number 10 and number 11 Downing Street. So what are our views on the impact on, say, UK stimulus, uh, especially on the back of those election promises? I think it's interesting, as you say, we've had, uh, we, we talked earlier about the changes of the Guard, the Bank of England, we've also got one at the Treasury, Sajid Javid resigned, uh, and now Rishi Sunak is a fast-track minister, is the new Chancellor. The expectation, as you say, is that he's likely to be more loyal to number 10, and we already have some of those fiscal pledges in in the budget. Against that, though, the trouble that the government currently has, particularly if you look at the Institute for, for Fiscal Studies that sort of independently assess uh, what, what the government does. Those downgrades to the economic forecast I talked about earlier makes it harder to open those spending taps. Um, given the disruption as well from the coronavirus, the indication at the moment is that the, the budget in March is going to be a little bit of a damp squib in terms of big decisions, particularly, particularly around tax and spending. Those are likely to, to be delayed until the autumn. But I think if you look within that, the expectation is that the, the Chancellor will focus on giving away some of those key promises in the manifesto, and that is the early stages of fiscal stimulus. It includes more spending for the NHS. It includes giving a million more money to, to millions of workers through increasing the, the threshold at which national contributions start, um, pausing the, the, the cut in, in corporation tax. So lots of the manifesto pledges are likely to get through. Um, I think given the broader backdrop, the government is almost certainly preparing to put more money in if we, we see developments with, with um, COVID-19. But my suspicion is they'll, they'll start with the pledges. The big uh, announcements will be pushed later in the year. But that's probably because if you're a government, a bit like happened with Brexit, you cast your minds back. Um, Philip Hammond made a lot of this fiscal headroom. We talked about the Brexit war chest. And there's no point splurging that all early on if you anticipate bumps down the road. So it may be that some of these uh, spending pledges and some of the stimulus is held back because you don't want to have um, a budget. You announce lots of fiscal spending. You have another bump, perhaps it's you know the, the coronavirus, and then not have any ammunition to deploy. So I think some of it is pushing it into the, the further down the road. I think some of it is going to be focused on those pledges, particularly around the NHS. And the broader backdrop, I think, is going to have to be the government needs to be able to respond if we do see the coronavirus um, turn up. And I think that's really what's going to help supply and demand. 
um, said there's not a huge amount you can do on the supply side with monetary policy, but you can do it, um, you can with, with the supply side, if the government introduces fiscal stimulus, that can really help if you need to re-accelerate out of a dip. Fantastic. And if we sort of expand that fiscal stimulus from just outside the UK now, or sorry, inside the UK to outside into global markets, where do we see that um, starting to come first, should we say? And um, I would, well, interestingly, nothing has so far been promised, um, but I would suggest the next area is likely to be Europe. Europe is already, as we said, facing a bit of a slowdown. It has uh, a, several, at least areas spreading in Italy, and it's likely to be elsewhere given the earlier report. So they need stimulus and they need it relatively quickly. We've talked before that some of the more austere governments, particularly the Netherlands and Germany, were giving some signs that they might be prepared to be a little bit more um, tolerant of fiscal stimulus. We talked about the green banks. It's interesting, there are reports out in the last few days that the German authorities are considering relaxing some of those fiscal constraints, at least in the near term. So nothing has been promised and it is very difficult um, to have broad action, particularly coordinated action across the Eurozone, um, while still maintaining all of the, the, the fair treatment of the different sized countries that I think electorates are very sensitive to. Um, against that, though, if you do have this common threat, particularly something like COVID-19, that could be the common en enemy to help um, unite some of those political factions to acknowledge something needs to be done. So nothing outside the UK is currently particularly clear, but I'd suspect Europe is is probably next. And if you do see a broader downturn, we've seen that America is, is pretty willing to open the taps fairly readily as and when needed. And I suppose that's also starting to see a little bit of change in China and, and across Asia with the way they're going to deal with the ramifications of the virus and starting to see some of the movement allowed back across the country and factories reopening. Absolutely. There is um, a clear coordinated policy um, from the very highest levels. And we saw that with a very harsh uh, and rapid restrictions initially. But now they are starting to move between that balance of containing the virus, but recognising um, economic activity is really essential. It's likely that their Q1 GDP figures will be slashed quite materially. And the question is the rebound on the other side. Uh, we were just talking about monetary policy and fiscal policy. Uh, and bear in mind, most regions we talk about, Europe, UK and, and the US in particular, uh, and Japan have fully or virtually fully independent central banks. That is less the case with China, where interestingly it tends to be monetary policy and fiscal policy both controlled by, by the government. And there we're already seeing further incremental policy stimulus, stimulus measures being deployed. So China certainly has the scope. What's going to be interesting is to see how uh, credible these reports are that coronavirus is starting, or sorry, COVID-19 is starting to dissipate and how aggressively they then try and re-kickstart economic activity. But a lot of supply chains go through China. So I think that's going to be a really important watch point. Perfect. Thank you. Um, you touched on the states being one of the last areas that may need to take sort of fiscal policy. Um, obviously, the elections are coming up this year. We're well underway with the cycle. And it looks like Bernie Sanders is firmly in the lead for the Democratic Party. Um, I just wonder if there's anything else we should be considering at this stage. Um, I think the area to watch really at the moment, it's still many months away until the November elections, but it's going to be the Democratic primaries who is going to be running for the Democrats uh, against Donald Trump. 
And as you say, by all accounts, Bernie Sanders is the front runner. He has already won sort of the, the first three rounds. And historically, if you look at all of the patterns, that suggests anyone that wins the first three, that's your trend. The others start dropping out and, and it's historically difficult for anyone else to, to achieve success. What is interesting, though, is I, I think this time, it, it's very, always very dangerous to say this time's different. But there are some factors that, that are quite notable. And really, you've got two camps within the, the Democratic primaries at the moment. You have the more moderate side uh, and those further towards the left. And certainly Bernie Sanders is the poster child for, for the left wing of the party. Uh, and he has some fairly market unfriendly policies. You've also got Elizabeth Warren um, in that camp as well. What is interesting this time around is going to be Super Tuesday, which is uh, on, I think it's Tuesday, the 3rd of March. And even though the first three uh, of these primaries set the scene, actually the number of delegates, so they have a system where you elect delegates, which in turn um, which in turn vote for, for the lead delegates or for, for the, the candidates. Actually, the first three, by volume, are tiny. They're merely indicative most of the, the delegates, I think around 60% of the delegates, are made available on Super Tuesday. And Michael Bloomberg, the billionaire who runs, uh, obviously, Bloomberg, very well-known financial software, is entering the race only for Super Tuesday. He hasn't participated in the first few rounds. And that's really the wild card, and that's going to be the tipping point. Michael Bloomberg is effectively the, the leader within the moderates. So if you have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren as a sort of more left-wing your moderates at the moment, Pete Buttigieg, uh, who's currently doing pretty well, Joe Biden, who was vice president under Barack Obama, and then Michael Bloomberg. It's going to be interesting to see the split between those two camps. Michael Bloomberg has been spending huge amounts. He's spent already over $500 million on advertising, which is all, more than all of the others uh, uh, combined. Sorry, for his campaign overall, more than all the others combined. He's really going out there. So what's going to be most important to watch is how is that going to be split? Are we going to see Michael Bloomberg really steal a march? Or the other risk is that the moderates perhaps split three ways and no one gets enough delegates to get through to the next stages. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this pans out. Most importantly, there's a risk, I think, that the market are currently underestimating the chance of a Sanders-Trump um, election in November. And that could have ramifications for the market particularly given some of the market unfriend, unfriendly policies that Bernie Sanders is advocating. Um, it's probably something we'll talk about a lot more at next month's podcast, because then we'll have Super Tuesday, we'll have a much clearer idea, idea the way the land lies. So watch this space for the next podcast. Um, and I think that's a good place to stop, actually. So thank you, Ben, for your time and comments as always. We will be back in March with a new episode. And if you have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. And thank you for listening.